Hello and welcome to the She Reads Truth podcast. She Reads Truth creates beautiful, accessible Bible reading plans and resources to help you get into God's Word every day. Each week here on the podcast, we talk about what we're going to read together as a community this week. I'm your host, Rachel Myers. And I'm your other host, Amanda Bible-Williams. And this is our second and final week in our Ruth series. We are reading the short Old Testament book of Ruth together. And our guest this week is Susie Silk. Susie is a teaching pastor at Church of the City in New York City. She has a master's in Bible and ancient Semitic languages. No big deal. No big deal. From Jewish Theological Seminary. And she's currently pursuing her Doctor of Hebrew Literature. Wow. Yeah, we kind of outkicked our coverage with this guest a little bit. She is the co-author of a few books. The most recent one is called The God You Long For, co-written with John Tyson, friend of the podcast. She's also the host of the new Every Scripture podcast, where she takes a deep dive into Scripture. So as you can see, she was just a natural fit for this (laughs) conversation, and we just learned a lot in reading these last two chapters of the Book of Ruth, and I think you're really going to love it. Let's get right to it. I am so excited that we are on the second and final week of the Ruth podcast series. Just a short little bitty It's a short little bitty. But the fact that we get for the second half of the book of Ruth, that we get Susie Silk to be our guest. Mm -hmm. So we get this one-two punch of Christine McClellan, Susie Silk, these like alarmingly intelligent students of the Old Testament and like all of like the Hebrew culture and all of these things. Susie Silk, welcome to the Shiri's Truth Podcast. I'm thrilled that you're here today. Thank you. It's great to be here. I've always uh, admired Shiri's Truth for a long time, so it's just a joy oh, to be on the podcast. That's today. very kind. Thank you. That's really kind. <laughs> well, and we just get to be three she's talking about the Book of Ruth today. And um, <laughs> what a job! What I a love it. Great job to I get love to do it. today. Last week with Christy, we covered chapters one through two, one and two, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and learned so much and just digging back into this story that's familiar for a lot of us, but it does not matter. I mean, among the three of us, I don't know how many times we've read the book of Ruth, right? but there were things that we were like, did you see that? Oh my goodness, look. Yeah. <laughs> I've never noticed that. Yeah. So I'm excited to do that again. We're picking up in chapter 3, verse 1. If you guys are listening when this releases, this is our day 8 of the reading plan mm-hmm. on Monday. And Naomi is about to give Ruth some instructions. Yes. Should we just dig right in? I mean, Dive we right can, in? but before we do, okay, yes. because we have the guests that we have, mm-hmm. I would just love, like, so y'all listening know, because we mentioned this before, that we do like a little bit of a pre-interview, like a little questionnaire before the interview. And Susie, on yours, you were just telling us kind of like what you've been studying this summer, what you're planning to study this fall. And you said the timing of this episode and talking about Ruth is just really, really good. So talk to us about why you're excited to talk about Ruth. Yeah, that's great. I'm in the middle of my doctoral program at Jewish Theological Seminary. And I finished my coursework, but now I'm in the oral section. And so the way it works at JTS is we have to do a one-hour oral exam with a different professor on each of the different sections of the Tanakh. So Torah, first five books, Nevaim is broken into two, former prophets and latter prophets, and then the Kituvim, the writings. And in the Jewish Bible, Ruth shows up in the writings because it's part of the what's called the Megillot. It's these five small scrolls, five smaller books that are each assigned to a different holiday. So Lamentations, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, Ruth, you know, Esther, like each of them for a different holiday. Yeah. So yeah, Esther. So yeah, so Ruth, I'm just starting in that section of my orals and 
have to just like research all these different books and memorize all these texts and translate them from you know Hebrew into English. And so Ruth is part of my next section for orals. So. Okay, that is, I know you didn't say that to be impressive, but I am impressed. Um, <laughs> and it's also just fascinating that you're loving just like digging into the ancient language and like pulling it back in, like that you're learning how to like read Hebrew and interpret it. Golly, that's amazing. Yeah. It's fun. It's also super intimidating to be at a school yeah. like that, but yeah. <laughs> I'm trying my best. <laughs> Good job. I'm so thankful for you and women like you, Susie, who do that hard work yes. and help all of us to learn. Like it's not something that we can just, well, I guess we could mm-hmm. in our spare time, mm-hmm. <laughs> but That's like true. it really takes, it's a big undertaking, like it you is. just said. And mm-hmm. so, so I'm so thankful and I have no doubt that we're going to glean some of, glean, oh, not intended, but, but, but celebrated. Accepted. Yes. yes. Um, <laughs> glean from your wisdom, even in this conversation, because how can you not? Yeah. Like it's this, this is so exciting, and it's kind of the Lord to time things the way He does. Yes. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> well, I would love for us to read these first like five verses, just to kind of so remember where we are yeah. in the story. And if you haven't listened to last week's episode, you're going to want to do that at some point. But I would say, if you haven't read the Book of Ruth recently. You might want to pause. I know a lot of people, it's not popular for podcast hosts to tell people to stop to listening and go do something that, else. Yeah. But I would pause yeah. and go grab a Bible or pull up your Bible app, your She Reads Truth app would be a great one, and just read Ruth. It only takes like... 10 four, to 15 minutes. Yeah, not long, mm-hmm. depending on how fast you read. Mm-hmm. And so, Read it can, out loud if you can, because mm-hmm. I think that saying it helps you hear it. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And so do that and then come back. Don't forget mm-hmm. us. Come back and join us in the conversation. But, and here we are, mm-hmm. Ruth chapter 3, verse 1. Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, shouldn't I find rest for you so that you will be taken care of? Now, isn't Boaz our relative? Haven't you been working with his female servants? I love all of these questions yes. where you can yeah, just yeah. hear like Naomi's care <laughs> mm-hmm. for Ruth. And it's almost like I'm prepping you for what I'm about to ask you to do, mm-hmm. that like reminding you of God's faithfulness here. This evening, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfumed oil, and wear your best clothes. Go down to the threshing floor, but don't let the man know you're there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, notice the place where he's lying. Go in and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will explain to you what you should do. So Ruth said to her, I will do everything you say. Okay. Help catch us up here, Susie. Where um, I see a big smile. Yeah, like it's <laughs> about like the threshing floor and what like this is a bold thing she's about to do and a submissive thing. Is that a, an appropriate way to interpret this? Yeah, like I a mean, vulnerable. Yes position and no. She's putting Although herself I would in. say this is very active compared to what okay. we normally expect. Yep. So one of the things, I don't know if you guys talked about this last week, but one of the things I find fascinating about the book of Ruth is it's, it turns on its head a lot of what we consider like normal tropes in the Bible. Mm-hmm. So I would actually suggest, first of all, that in some ways it should be called the book of Naomi okay. because it's actually Naomi's story arc. It is. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And Naomi is positioned from like the first few verses in almost as the patriarch, what we normally mm-hmm. think of as a patriarchal tale, right? So like think about in the Torah and the first five books, how you always have like a guy who's from a family and we're told who he marries and who his kids are. And then he leaves, right? There's always a famine. So that happens mm-hmm. in a lot of texts. 
And then he leaves and he comes back, right? Abraham, Jacob, follow this narrative. And then we have this like, you know, usually there's like an infertility issue. So even Naomi has this like conversation that she has with her. It's like, I'm not going to be able to give you any children. Mm-hmm. And then by the end, which we can talk more about in chapter four, we have Naomi now being restored and being called the mother of mm-hmm. Obed. And like everything that she lost has now been restored to her. And so it's a funny story in a lot of ways because it sort of sets you up to think that certain characters are main characters and they all die. Then Naomi's left with her daughter-in-laws and then just Ruth. And then the middle of the book acts like a romance novel a little bit, but it doesn't follow any of the normal tropes of a Mm -hmm. romance novel from the Bible, right? Like she doesn't meet him at the well. She meets him at the threshing floor. Mm -hmm. She has no trouble getting pregnant, right? Ruth immediately gets pregnant. Naomi's the one that has seems to not be able to have an heir. Mm-hmm. Ruth doesn't have that problem. So I think that that's helpful, like in sort of understanding some of this stuff, because it it's really not, is. it's like both typical for the culture and atypical for what we expect mm-hmm. in the Bible. And then, yes, I would say that that's why when you ask if it's submissive, I'm like, well, yes and no, because yeah. she's initiating the marriage proposal. Like, right. and when she asks him to cover her with her garment, the rabbis will say how they see this as like as, you know, marital language. It shows up again in, I think it's Ezekiel 16, I think it's verse 8, where it's like covering with the garment. And then there's even other references about like if you uncover your father's nakedness, right? Like if you sleep with right. his wife, you've uncovered nakedness. So Ruth is the one who seems to be like initiating and proposing. And Naomi is like instigating Ruth to do these yeah. things. Yeah. As opposed to like the opposite, which is what we normally expect right? Like we normally expect Abraham wants to get a wife for his son, Isaac. So he sends his servant to go find Mm -hmm. a woman at a well. Like that's how you find your woman. And you find them at the well, that's how it seems to play out. But this narrative doesn't follow any of those typical Mm -hmm. tropes. So So why do you think that is? Why do you think that it's just like so different? Oh, I mean, there could be, there's so many answers to that. I mean, I think part of it's David's whole lineage is like, doesn't yeah. ever follow the script. Yeah, right? that's so true. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Like Tamar, Rahab, Ruth. But even like even Leah and Rachel mess with certain things too, right? Yes. Like Leah is like trying to get her husband, they're bartering to get their husband to sleep with them. So yep. you know, and Rebecca gives us problems. So it's just I don't know. I think the women in the Bible are really fascinating because they're like uh-huh. they're in this very understandable patriarchal society. Um, which we'll get into later with like land rights. And yet they're trying to navigate within the system in order to provide for themselves and to see God's promises fulfilled. And I think that's what we have Naomi and Ruth doing. Naomi's like, okay, he's the redeemer or he's a redeemer. Like he's part of this family Mm -hmm. that can, Mm -hmm. these men that can redeem you. Like how can we sort of set you up so that you'll be provided for and cared for as you get older? Anyways, that sort of took it off track from what you're saying. But those are no, the things that No, it's, it's all the on-tracks and off-tracks, and I love it. Because we were even talking last week about, like, you know, the fact of the matter that Boaz's mother is Rahab. Like, you mentioned Rahab right. a minute ago. And, like, we were just kind of wondering to ourselves, like, was Rahab a part of this story? Was she around? Like, I mean, right. she would have—they would have been contemporaries, obviously. But, like, was she about the same age as Naomi? Like— would Ruth have known Rahab? Like all of those mm-hmm. questions that are, I guess, neither here nor there, but they're fascinating to think about. Mm-hmm. Well, it just reminds us that these are real people and real stories. In real time. And it's not yeah. that like, you know, the story of Rahab is in one book over here on my shelf and the story of Ruth is on another. And yeah. this isn't an actual world where these people exist. Like to remember that this is common land, common space and time, mm-hmm. you know. It's really helpful. So you mentioned, Susie, the covering with the garment, and you're referencing where, so she does this, and it's in, it says Boaz is startled awake mm-hmm. in the yeah. middle of the night, right? And he yep. says, 
who are you? He sees a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? I am Ruth, your servant, she replied. Take me under your wing, for you are a family redeemer. Is that what you're referring to? Where's Yeah. So the word... Okay, so that same language, right, is Mm -hmm. used in chapter 2 when Boaz says to Ruth, like, you know, basically, may the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, right? So she's using that same phrasing, under whose wings, Mm -hmm. and that word kanaf. Now, when you look at the sort of rabbinical interpretation, I think also just from context, we can kind of say, oh, she wants to be covered by, like, the edge of his garment, and the rabbi suggests this is, like, marriage language, right, because of what we see later on in these other places. But then what I find really fascinating about it is when you look at the Hebrew word kanaf, right, and how it's translated, either like wings or wing of the garment, so like the edge of the garment, is that it's the same word that's going to show up in Malachi. At the end of Malachi, Malachi 4.2, the son of righteousness rises with healing in his wings. Okay. Yeah. And then this is going to be important for understanding in the New Testament, the story of the woman who takes hold of the edge of Jesus' garment, which is in Mark 5. So that story... The corner of the garment, later on, it becomes known as like the corner, the fringes of the garment, the tzitzit, mm-hmm. right, that the, a Jewish man would wear on the edges of the garment. But she's grabbing hold of that corner of his garment, and mm-hmm. then she receives healing. So mm-hmm. there's this like whole connection between like being hidden under the wing, right, sort of married and protected. Yeah. And then this idea of like healing and the son of righteousness rising with healing in his wings. And then she grabs hold of Jesus's garment and receives healing. And so I love, I love all that imagery, like the way mm-hmm. that it sort of moves wow. through with that Hebrew word. And so, yes, but the, but so the, the direct it, context here is chapter two. But it's interesting, you're right, to see that language repeated from chapter 212. Like, that's cool to see. Yeah, like she takes— It does not feel like a mistake. She takes refuge under the Lord's wing. And, Mm -hmm. I mean, part of that is because she has, you know, in some sense converted, right? Like she said, your gods are my gods, right? Right. And that means that she's entered into the covenant of God's people. And all of that idea, and then what we see in Ezekiel 16, 8, is when God is talking to Israel and saying, I'm going to cover you with my garment. I'm going to take you and like make you my people. And so she first essentially enters the covenant, the marriage covenant that God has with his people. And then the same language is now being reflected again in the way that she's interacting with Boaz, because she's going to enter under his garment of protection and be married to him. Mm-hmm. And so that's the sort of like weaving imagery that comes through. Anyways, I love that. I love it specifically when she grabs the corner of his garment. It makes a lot more sense to me why the woman who has the issue of blood, like, grabs that part of Jesus's clothing Mm -hmm. and thinks, like, maybe if I can just grab this part, like, I'll be healed, like, because I know that the Son of Righteousness comes with healing in his wings Mm -hmm, and the corners mm -hmm. of his garment. So speaking of things that like, you know, that you notice the yeah. reading several times through, right after Ruth says that in verse 10 of chapter 3, it says, Boaz said, May the Lord bless you, my daughter. You have shown more kindness now than before because you have not pursued younger men, whether rich or poor. Now don't be afraid, my daughter, for I will do whatever you say, since the people in my town know that you are a woman of noble character. But that part where he says, like, you've shown me more kindness than before, that's the first time I've ever thought of, I always think of Boaz as God's provision for Ruth and for Naomi. The one extending kindness. Yeah, and I've never thought of Ruth being provision for Boaz as well. Because if he's unmarried... Is question mark? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As far as we know, 
Yeah. Right. And if she said, and he says, you know, you could have pursued younger men. Mm-hmm. And so he also wants an heir. Mm-hmm. I love, I've never thought about that layer mm-hmm. of the story. I love that. I love that. Well, I like to picture, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, my my thing was dumb. Mine was, I just want to picture that Bo has, <laughs> I assume he's handsome, but he doesn't say anything. He better be, or we're going to all be, we're gonna all be super know. disappointed. <laughs> Okay, that's see a, how my thing was dumb? The way no, that no, the I was going to say that's a fascinating tangent in the Bible, though. It's actually never a good thing if someone said that they're that they're. <gasps> You're right. Thing. You're it right. It always means there's danger. Okay. Yeah. So, he so you don't want to be called not. handsome or beautiful in the Bible, at least in the beginning, <laughs> like in, in narrative context. At the start, of, okay, yeah. Okay, so you were you were saying though about I was um, saying like the provision how Boaz, yes. Boaz and Ruth, how they're both being a provision for each other, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yes. And I think it's. So, yes, I mean, he needs an heir, and she needs, you know, she's a widow, she's a foreigner, she's like, maybe Naomi sort of has land, but Naomi's land doesn't have, like, a male custodian for it. So, all of this stuff is, like, the tensions of these few months. But you're right, Boaz also needs a son, and Boaz needs an heir to pass his own land to. And then I think it's, like, what you just said, like, wow, they're providing for each other. Also, that same word chesed for, like, loyalty and kindness is used about both of them, right? So, like, at the end of chapter Mm. two... It's Naomi's like, oh, he's shown you a great kindness, like a great loyalty and chesed. And now yeah. he's saying the same thing about her, which is a word that's like so rich in the Bible. Like right. it's, you know, God's covenant faithfulness to us is mercy. It's what goes above and beyond justice is like when you show chesed, it's beyond what's just like your due. It's like generosity. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, the fact that he considers her to have been so generous that she didn't go after other men mm-hmm. and just... You know, it's a good thing to notice. To good noticing, Amanda. Hey, thanks. Yeah. 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 Thank you, Holy yes. Spirit. Um, and also, I mean, we talked about this briefly last week as well, but you guys heard what Amanda just read, that she is a woman of noble character. And mm-hmm. we mentioned last week that in the Hebrew Bible, the book of Ruth follows Proverbs 31, the, the woman of noble character. And in fact, in day eight reading this week, in Monday's reading, you do get to read Proverbs 31, 10 through 31, in praise of the wife of noble character. And so Mm -hmm. Christy was saying last week that this is, that Ruth kind of gets to be the prototype of the woman of noble character. We see her working hard and also kind of exemplifying all of these things. Is that what you would say too? Um, (laughs) You're like, yes, no. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. So first of all, you said that it follows Proverbs 31 in the Hebrew Bible. Is that right? Not in the current Hebrew Bible. So okay. in the current Hebrew Bible, it doesn't. The Talmud? I, I have it right here. Um, oh, yeah. And she's like, in my, pull I can go check Hebrew if Bible. it's in the Talmud. But okay. yeah, I mean, Proverbs I think it was the Talmud. Job is next, then Song, Song, and Ruth. Although there's, again, I mean, they were all scrolls. So right. it's, you know, the order is slightly weird. Okay. But Ruth, yeah, Ruth is always with Shavuot. So the Feast of Weeks, like what we call Pentecost, which is interesting. But... Mm. Yeah, in terms of the idea of the Eshet Chayil, so the woman of noble character, yeah, I think that in some ways she does epitomize it. But I would also say that you don't get to see, like, necessarily the full range of that character, of, like, that perspective from Proverbs 31. Mm -hmm. Because Proverbs 31 has a lot of military language in it, which we don't see exemplified, yeah, in Ruth. But we do see, like, the active nature. We see her using her hands. Um, We see her being part of building a house, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I, and the, yeah. like, reputation, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. the, you know, the Proverbs 31 woman that her works praise her at the city gates. And yes. Boaz says, like, I know about the, I've heard the, what all the you've good done things. for your mother-in-law. So that's mm-hmm. kind of cool, too. Right, right, for sure. 
Yeah. And some of it too is also like how, when do we think Ruth was canonized and written? Like, obviously there's a couple ways to look at the text, right? When did Uh Ruth live, right? She lived during the period of the judges, Mm -hmm. but when did her story become like canon? And Mm -hmm. some people date it like right after the period of David, King David, Mm -hmm. sort of like his family history, in which case then maybe it'd be a little closer to the time period of Proverbs, but some Mm -hmm. say that it's more of a post, like an exilic period, like peace or post exile to sort of like remember the glories of David, like you think about first and second Chronicles. So I think that also sort of, that always has to sort of shape how we see some of the language and like what, what, what images are being put forward is like what the ideal woman is like. So until then, until it was written down into onto yeah. a scroll, it was just oral tradition. Like this story was just yes. handed down. Yes. That's amazing. Oral, Carefully. Yeah. Yes. Oral tradition is just fascinating. Yeah. We are yeah. so far removed <laughs> from that. <laughs> we are. We are, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, I think going back to Proverbs 31, I think it's helpful to see Ruth as an example of an Eshet Chayel, but not mm-hmm. necessarily the only way that an Eshet Chayel can live. The example. Just, right. yeah, 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 yeah. I like that. Yeah. I think that's a good I just clarifying say it because, statement. That's good. I mean, yeah. Christine may have talked about this last week, but I think a lot of biblical interpretation gets put, like, it gets put through all these different, like, filters. And mm-hmm. I think even when we say, like, a woman of noble character, at least in my mind, I think of the word nobility. And then I think of gentry. And then I think of, like, Down Abbey. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> or you think of, like, I see. Susie Homemaker, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which is not what the Eshet Heil is, and it's not what that word means. Like, Heil mm-hmm. is the same word we use for David's mighty men. Like, that's, okay. you know, it's like understanding the word for like she's Eva's fierce. a helpmate. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I yeah. mean, the word Azer doesn't mean somebody who's a helper. It means someone who's like, help, I'm in the middle of battle. And like, that's yeah. what these texts are like. And so Proverbs 31 in the Hebrew is like, she girds her loins. It's like a lot of military language. So I think that... Man, we do not read it that way, do we? And I'm just generalizing no. the church now, like just mm-hmm. the modern American church. Yeah. I yeah. just feel like, you know, a lot of us who grow up in the church, and I know we're way off now, but not really, because we're mm-hmm. talking about Ruth, mm-hmm. that... If we grow up in the church, that can actually, like the Proverbs 31 woman can actually be something that kind of sticks in our craw a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. like we just, because our interpretation of it can be a little bit mm-hmm. skewed. Yeah, I think yeah. we, I think at different points in time, we inherit like a sanitized form of each of those texts mm-hmm. and sort of like this Ruth passage, right? Like how you interpret chapter three and like what's happening with this is like, can go all over the map. Um, yes. And how you read. But yeah, it's part of that. It's like, yeah. does Ruth end up getting forced into sort of what we want at the time ideal women to look like? Or do we mm-hmm. let her stand in her own context and really ask, like, was this normal for women at that time period? How is this controversial? What's she doing? Like, I think that's the more fascinating conversation before you move yeah. to application. As opposed to saying, like, hey, if you want to get a guy to pay attention to you, go lay down on his feet, right? (laughs) (laughs) What a disappointing takeaway. (laughs) There are so many beautiful takeaways about God's faithfulness in the book of Ruth. (laughs) But if you're looking for dating advice, don't go to Ruth. This this is not it. Super helpful. Mm -hmm. There's an even better there. There's something even better. Yeah, exactly. Well, but. we were speaking <laughs> earlier about provision and and Boaz, it really feels like that all of their interactions that are recorded here, Boaz is protecting and looking out for Ruth at every turn. 
at least of what we have here, right? And so yeah. when when we get to Ruth 3, verses 14, so she lays there till morning, she gets up while it's still dark, and, and Boaz, I assume out of protection for her, like, don't let anyone know you were here. Yeah. And he says, bring me your shawl. I'm paraphrasing. And so she brings her shawl, and he it says in verse 15, he shoveled six measures of barley into her shawl, and she went out, she went into the town. And so she takes that to Naomi. But I don't know the ins and outs of the measurements and what was coming, but that feels like a lot. Yeah, it was. <laughs> like the she's got a whole like shawl. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, oh, yeah. That's yeah, a funny yeah. detail. I, how would yeah. you maybe I read home? 32 quarts. Like, that's what I'm remembering as I, like, I oh, did like it's, an it's equivalent. A, well, yeah, it's somewhere like it's a lot. And I think that the really fascinating thing to me is like in the contrast to the famine that he's doling right. out that much barley. Oh, I hadn't thought in about the first that. harvest after the famine. It just feels really yeah. significant. And is it? Is it like here you need this to survive, or is this like a like I'm symbolic? Giving, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like here's all that. Like right. I didn't have this much for three years. Like I don't know. It just feels like very generous in grain giving in a post famine <laughs> yeah. harvest. And it's not even like it's technically a dowry yet, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. he's not technically going. He, like he doesn't know if he's going to end up right. with her or not yet. Yeah. The famine thing is fascinating too because. That's going to come up in chapter four, how like Naomi has this land, but like no one's been harvesting on it for all these years. So that's why they're destitute is like they haven't, they don't have anything that they can harvest on their own land. Okay. So I wonder if that's part of it with Boaz too is, yeah, he just, like you said, he knows knows. that they are destitute and he's like so amazed by her kindness and Mm -hmm. her loyalty to him. And, and also he's a good guy. Like, I mean, that's Mm -hmm. how the story sets him up. It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. He's a man so of she, noble character, right? He's yeah, a man there of we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to keep reading to us. Keep reading because <laughs> this is good. I don't want to miss it. So Ruth tells Naomi everything. I love how they tell each other everything. Mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. feel like usually with your mother-in-law that maybe it's not always <laughs> the case. He gave me these six measures of barley because he said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. And Naomi said, my daughter, wait until you find out how things go, for he won't rest until he resolves this today. And he does. He goes here at the beginning of chapter four, begins, Boaz went to the gate of the town and sat down there. And he just, wait, he waits for the guy. There was no like, I'm going to text you. Can you meet me at the (laughs) gate? It's like, I'm just going to go sit at the gate and wait. Soon the family redeemer, the one that was closer than himself, Uh soon the family redeemer Boaz had spoken about came by. And Boaz said. That's so funny. I'm sorry. Like, uh it just gets me. You're right. Like you just had to go sit and wait on him. Sit somewhere where you think he might go by. This is not yep. a very large place. Yeah. You know, yeah. We kind of talked about that last week. Yeah. Boaz said, "Come over here and sit down." So he went over and sat down. Then Boaz took ten men of the town's elders and said, "Sit here." And they sat down. <laughs> Everyone's very good at following directions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He said to the redeemer. Naomi, who has returned from the territory of Moab, is selling the portion of the field that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should inform you, buy it back in the presence of those seated here. So he's gathered these men as witnesses. Of those seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people, if you want to redeem it, do it. But if you do not want to redeem it, tell me so that I will know, because there isn't anyone other than you to redeem it, and I am next after you." And the man answers, I want to redeem it. 
And Boaz says, and I'm paraphrasing, great, there's a catch. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Then Boaz said, on the day that you buy the field from Naomi, you will acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the deceased man, to perpetuate the man's name on his property. The Redeemer replied, never mind. (laughs) He says, I can't redeem it myself or I will ruin my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption because I can't redeem it. And so then they do this ceremony, this legally binding ceremony that then allows Boaz to be the redeemer. I'm going to start handing my sandal to people as a promise. (laughs) And then, I mean, does it, it happens right there on the spot? Am I reading this correctly? Okay. Yeah, no, that's correct. That's why he waited for the elders, right? That's where you have to make, I mean, that's the the end of Proverbs 31 also. Her husband sits in the city gate among the owners of the lands, right? But yeah, this is where all main transactions, decision-making, legal legal rulings would happen at okay. the city gate. And there were usually, like if you go to Israel, there's a couple sites, but I, I'm thinking of one specifically in the north where you can actually, they excavated it and you can see these like benches at the entrance to the, um, oh, cool. to the city. Oh, that is yeah, cool. Where they would have held court. So Ruth is married Are they married then and there or and is there like a later wedding? I don't know, but she's not present for this. Nope. That's okay. No. She no. Congratulations. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's, <laughs> this is it's the way not, it is. It's a legal thing. It's a Part of bit. it is that engagements were much. They were legal. Like she was already contractually married, but they hadn't consummated the wedding mm-hmm. yet. I mean, mm-hmm. they hadn't consummated the marriage. Although we're going to get that right mm-hmm. after this, right? Boaz yeah. takes Ruth and she becomes his wife. But yeah, I mean, everything was contracts and land property exchanges and wow. dowries, and <laughs> it feels mm-hmm. very foreign to us. But it does. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a, and that's a lot of this conversation is like, if you were to look at, well, so like the concept of Redeemer, right? I don't know if you talked about this last week's podcast, but. Yeah, we did a little bit. Yeah. Redeemer shows up in like Leviticus 25 about the year of Jubilee. So somebody who's actually Mm -hmm. been enslaved or lost their land. And then it shows up in Leviticus 27 about land redemption. Some scholars would say that kind of what's happening here is a combination between land redemption and like leverite marriage this idea of like if a woman was left without her if her husband dies she should marry like Mm -hmm. her husband's brother she doesn't have that happening here but the issue is like this land that doesn't have a male custodian and these women that are attached to this land and to those deceased men who also need custodians who need men for protection and who men for legal rights i would say that also this text sort of relates to the daughters of zelophehad who show up in Numbers 26, 27. Remember the story in Numbers 27? There's, they're about to enter the promised land, and a father has died. He's left five daughters. Um, uh-huh. So dad's Delophahad, five daughters. And they're going to enter the land, and the land's being divided up. And the daughters go to Moses and say, like, this is not right. Like, our father is dead. He didn't die in one of the rebellions. Like, he should get property. But there's no son to inherit the property. And so Moses says, like, this is, and their main argument is, his name will be lost if there's not like land associated with his name. And so the ruling that Moses makes is the daughters can inherit as long as they only marry men in their own tribe. So any other time a woman can marry, you know, any other tribe, but Mm -hmm. now she has to marry within her specific tribe so that the land stays within that like territory of that tribe. Oh yeah, that makes sense. And her name is perpetuated. That's kind of what's happening here is like, Naomi has temporarily sort of inherited this land because her husband is dead and her sons are dead. There's no man to be the custodian of the land. So they need that. But also with getting this land, now you inherit these women (laughs) and then their Mm -hmm. children and then those sons. And so the first redeemer is like, well, if I have any kids with Ruth, then it'll be associated with this land. It's going to 
cause jeopardy for like, maybe he he already has sons Mm -hmm. and it would mess up the inheritance. Boaz, as far as we can tell, has no wife, has no children. So it's just going to merge into his land. But at the same time, as we get at the end of chapter four, when he it says, I've also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Malone's widow, as my wife to perpetuate the deceased man's name on his property. So her children will not be credited to her husband, like Leverite marriage, but the property will still stay in the family. Okay. And she will still be associated as like her husband's, her deceased husband's like widow. So like the name is preserved, the tribal land is preserved. Um, and everything is secure. Now, we don't think about marriage this way. <laughs> right. This <laughs> so is very it's really different. hard for us. Yeah. But one thing I noticed when I was reading the text this week was when is Ruth called the Moabitess and when is she just called Ruth? Oh, okay. So, okay. So I tracked all the times and it happens five times. So you can do this with me if you want. Um, <laughs> but it shows up in chapter one, verse 22 first occurrence is Naomi and Ruth are returning and they're coming to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. And that's when it says Ruth of the Moabitess. Mm-hmm. Um, and then chapter two, verse two, it's when Ruth asks Naomi, will you let me go into the fields? Chapter two, verse six, when the harvesters say that woman who's in the middle of our field, she's Ruth the Moabitess. Chapter two, 21, when, oh, sorry, it's six times when Ruth recounts how Boaz told her to stay in the field. And then here in chapter four, we have it two times, verse five and verse 10. And it's when Boaz says, when you buy the field, the Redeemer will also like inherit Ruth. Now, this is important because like, I keep referring to rabbinical writings, but rabbinics, the rabbis used to track every time a word would appear and assumed that if it didn't show up that many times, then it's telling us something. And so the thesis I came to this week in saying the text was that it's always it only shows up when she's in a field. And this is important because if a foreigner comes into the land, right, you cannot sell land to a foreigner, right? Okay. Yes. The land of Israel is meant to be the Israelites in perpetuity. Mm-hmm. So now you have this foreigner in the middle of the land, interacting with the land. So the question, in some ways, it's threatening the land, uh-huh. right? And so part of the story of Ruth is resolving who is going to inherit this piece of land. Will it be kept in the tribe of the Ephrathites, like the Ephrathites within Bethlehem, within Judah? Like, are they going to contain that? And so what gets resolved at the end is that Ruth, the Moabitess, is now married to Boaz, and all that land is held in perpetuity for the Israelites. So no foreigner ever gets the land. Now, that's a super technical reading, but I just think it's fascinating. Like, that's one of the problems that we're dealing with is like, who are these women who are going to take care of them? What's going to happen to this piece of land? Is this land, especially think about like the time of the judges, the tribes are literally tribes still, and right. they're constantly being con- like threatened by foreign invaders, and then a judge rises up and kicks a foreigner out. And now we have a foreigner in the midst of the land. So, But this foreigner wants to be part of the people of God mm-hmm. and like wants to be you know, grafted in, and so how are we going to fix that? And so by the end, we've solved the problem of the land. I mean, so that is such gospel. <laughs> yeah. Because who are we? We are foreigners to the kingdom of God Mm -hmm. because of our sin, and we cannot inherit our Mm -hmm. place as God's people and God's sons and daughters. But if Boaz is foreshadowing Christ, then, you know, because of who Christ is in Christ, we are not Christ, (laughs) but we get Mm -hmm. to share in the inheritance and be welcomed in. I just think that's no. What's it's happening. true. That's yeah. I mean that's Romans I eleven, right? Yes, yeah. we've been grafted in 
through yes. Jesus. And of course, right, Jesus is descended from David and this is his tribe, right? Like this right. is like so he is the redeemer. He's the redeemer who buys us out of slavery to sin. He's the redeemer who enables this, you know, who enables foreigners, those who are outside, those who are enemies That's to right. God, right? Because the Moabites are enemies mostly. They're a little bit of a redemption period in the time period of David. They like hide David when he's fleeing from Saul, but but overall, like the Moabites are an enemy and yet she gets brought into the family. And the same thing with us, right? Like we don't right. we don't actually as Gentiles, I'm assuming maybe all three of us on this call are not yes. none of us are Jewish. Mm-mm. Didn't want to assume maybe it's possible you're not saying Jewish. But we are outside of the promises of God, right? Like yeah. we are we're That's foreigners, right. we're strangers, we're outside of the covenant. Mm-hmm. But God brings us through the blood of Jesus, through That's our right. Redeemer. He brings us into the covenant That's of right. God. And so anyways, if and then we have... get an inheritance in the New Jerusalem. Yes. yes. Amen. If you all have a study book, there's an extra that you will not want to miss called God's Heart for the Vulnerable. And it's very much related to this story and to this conversation of how we're all the place. to be clear, this is not all the places, but Scripture is full of places where you can see God's heart for the disempowered, for the marginalized. That's right. So we will not take time to read through that, but you're going to want to on your own. It's well worth the It's beautiful. Okay, going back to what you were just saying, Susie, I do have a question. When we all, like, upon looking at what you were saying, like, that the threat to the land is, like, it can't belong to a foreigner. It has to stay in the tribe. Here's what what I'm thinking. What would have happened if Ruth hadn't married Boaz? Like, would the land have eventually become Ruth's? Is, like, is that an actual threat? Is that one of the acts of said was her going, no, I'm actually, I want to come under, I want this land to stay within the people of Israel. Is that something that could have happened? And follow-up question, is that why Naomi maybe was also a little resistant to her coming? Because the land could have become hers and she's a for, I don't know. These are my questions. Yeah. I mean, technically, no. So like, because they're women, right? So right, they're women, okay. so they can't inherit land. But yes, I mean, this is the larger conversation is more like kind of like Dars is a lofahad problem. It's like these women have custody of a land, how they make sure that they're not giving it to a different tribe. Like if Ruth yes. had married somebody from okay. I don't know, Gad, that would be yes, a problem. Yes, yes. So it's better that it stays Classic within Gad. the Redeemer because then it's in the family line. And, that, and that's mm-hmm. also the, what's happening in Leviticus 25, right? Year of Jubilee, also land focus. Leviticus 27 talks about redemption. It's all about fields mm-hmm. and like keeping land. And so yeah, how do you keep certain pieces of land within the tribe? How do you make sure that then when the year of Jubilee is celebrated every 50 years, everyone can actually return to a land? And so, yeah, it's harder for us to understand from an agricultural perspective. But yeah, that is part of what's happening. It's, okay. I just found it interesting when it was saying the oh, Moabites. Likewise. It likewise. Is. Yeah. I didn't every know time I you read so... scripture, there's something new. I know. So. It's amazing. <laughs> and I didn't expect to be so fascinated with all of the the legality of what is happening. Like there's so, it adds so much to the significance of the story to Mm -hmm. understand even just like a glimpse of that. After this ceremony or transaction, I suppose, takes place Mm -hmm. at the city gate, and there are witnesses there to this, in verse 11 of chapter 4, it says, All the people who were at the city gate, including the elders, said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is entering your house like Rachel and Leah who together built the house of Israel. May you be powerful in Ephrathah and your name well known in Bethlehem. May your house become like the house of Perez, the son Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring the Lord will give you by this young woman. May your name be well known in Bethlehem. 
And that's going to happen. Yeah. Because he will be in the line of Jesus. It's of funny David. because they, it's kind of like the double meaning. Like there mm-hmm. they are in Bethlehem and like, mm-hmm. let's make sure your name is well known here in your village. Mm-hmm. But, the, but having the, read the rest the of the story. The significance uh-huh. of having read the rest of the story. Mm-hmm. That's pretty awesome. What a good insight, Rachel. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> Listen, I'm here to be accurate. I'm the hype man for the Book of Ruth. No, but I, I, love, I love that all those women are mentioned too. I think we may have said right? this earlier, but just that yeah. like Rachel, Leah, Tamar, you know, everyone who's already in his genealogy, obviously, mm-hmm. but but just these other women of faith and who also had to have children like in really unconventional ways, right? Yes. Like in you you know, who worked really hard to have sons. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Maybe not yeah. how we would always recommend, but that's what they did. <laughs> I mean, so. even just like that language of like Rachel and Leah who together built the house yeah. of Israel. Like mm-hmm. That is sweet. Yeah. 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 They probably yeah. didn't feel that way to them Feels at the time. Together. But I'm just, I mean, and <laughs> mm-hmm. not to mention the other two women who also participated in building the house of Israel. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, Sarah and Rebecca aren't mentioned here. Right. Yeah. Right. One of the things that the rabbis note too, which I thought was fascinating is like the order, like Rachel, then Leah, even though genealogy wise, mm. right? Leah is actually the matriarch that's right. for Judah, yeah. right? Not Rachel. So that's right. That sort of honoring of Rachel alongside. Because mm. they could have just said, like, just like Leah and Tamar. Right. You know, they didn't. Hmm. It is really, is. none of it is uh, accidental. <laughs> no. You mentioned earlier that this could have been the book of Naomi. And this yes. is the part I in love the story where the story arc comes back. To Naomi. That's right. Ruth 4.13, Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. He slept with her and the Lord granted conception to her and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you without a family redeemer today. May his name become well known in Israel. And that's really the punchline Mm -hmm. of the story, right? Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is one of those moments, again, the fact that it says, like, the Lord granted conception to her. One, that's a, mm-hmm. a phrase that we see with the infertility narratives. But also, this is where we see, like, the Lord actively doing something, right? Like, yeah. I mean, the book of Esther is, God's not even mentioned. Here, he is mentioned in the book of mm-hmm. Ruth, but he doesn't take a lot of direct action in the story, right? It's always behind that's the right. scenes. So, like, in chapter one, it, she hears that the Lord had paid attention to his people and had provided, right? So that's mm-hmm. like an action. And then Naomi claims a lot of things about God, like his hands have turned against me, and mm-hmm. like you've opposed me, you've made me empty, why have you afflicted me, right? So there's also this beautiful, I think, reconciliation that's happening in the story between Naomi and the Lord, and the Lord like actively, that he gets credit. It's not just like Boaz took Ruth to be his wife and she gave birth to a son. Like it could have said right. that, but it yeah. says the Lord grants her conception. Mm-hmm. And then this idea that the Lord has has provided for Naomi. And so Naomi is, yeah, that's why I think a lot of times I think it's Naomi's story because it's it's Naomi's story of like, God's provided, it was a famine. I get that. But now God's providing for his people, but will he provide for me? Mm -hmm. And then a couple months later, she now knows, yes, God will also provide for me, not just for the people. And the thing that she said could never happen, happened. Like she stood there in Moab and said to Ruth, I mean, even if I got married today and could yes. conceive a son, yes. and then it, you waited for it to grow up for you to marry, right. like this is, there's no way mm-hmm. on this earth that this could happen. Yeah. And we get that. She's, and she's got a baby on her lap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she does. And she takes it as if it's her son and she mothers. And so often I read, I've learned to read stories with other stories next to them in conversation. Yeah, so it's yeah. like, I think about Naomi 
and Ruth and how is that different from Sarah and Hagar? Yeah. Right. Mm. So sort of like the differences of like Naomi doesn't think she's going to have an heir and a kid and she has this woman that she cares for, but she actually cares for that woman and she's not using that to sort of like secure her, her own life. She's actually just trying to take care of Ruth. And Sarah's like, there's no way I'm going to have a kid, but I really want a kid. So let me use this other woman to make this thing happen. And so, Mm -hmm. and you know, and how the Lord is not involved really in the, the Hagar birth. I mean, he, he cares for Hagar, but he's not suggesting that that was the right solution. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, this one, it's like, yeah, what she thought was impossible, God makes possible through mm-hmm. Ruth. And and then the, the praise that Ruth is better than seven sons. I absolutely oh, love that. Yeah, mm-hmm. let's read that. Yeah, it's finish just, it up. So this is still what the women are saying to Ruth. The Lord has not left you without a family redeemer today. May his name become well-known in Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. Indeed, your daughter-in-law, who loves you and is better to you than seven sons, hmm. has given birth to him. That is not a light statement. Seven no. sons? The perfect like number and the perfect gender? <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> come on now, Rachel. You know no, what I mean? We know what you mean. Like, yes. It was so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that a foreign woman who's a mm-hmm. widow who has nothing is like better to her than seven sons is just, I mean, wow. it's what you said. The seven being fullness, yeah. sons being like provision and protection yeah. and the future. And like, and that's why I think that this whole book just throws everything upside down. Like you, you can't, it. you have to read it in light of everything else. And then you have to ask like, what, what is God doing? Like, mm-hmm. and how is it that we have two books, you know, in the Hebrew canon that are named after women? I mean, we don't even have that in the New Testament. So like, two books named after women and they do all of this crazy stuff right <laughs> like esther also just like right. what on. is she doing and then ruth it's like it's all of these tropes are flipped upside down and just like the way that the lord's involved in it and then this is like the genealogy of david and the genealogy of jesus yes. and yes and i just think it's like god is subverting like the typical narrative of the culture yeah. and saying like I don't need you to do it the way that you think things happen. And I can use the least likely person and do it as long as someone's heart is turned towards me. Like I can do them and use them in unconventional and surprising ways. And I just love that. It's so beautiful. I love, love, love the end of this section where it's Naomi took the child, placed him on her lap, and became a mother to him. The neighbor women Hmm. said, a son has been born to Naomi, and they named him Obed. And then this mic drop of a moment. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. I know. Which is a clue to us that this was Amazing. written down later. Obviously. Yes. yes. <laughs> and then the only, there's only five mm-hmm. verses left, and it's David's genealogy. Mm-hmm. These are the family records of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon. Sal- How do you say it? Like I the fish? Or like yeah. the- Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David, which means Ruth mm-hmm. is David's great grandmother. Mm-hmm. And Naomi yep. is David's great great. Naomi and Rahab are the great great grandmothers. There you go. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yep. I love it. Right. Because we're putting them at the same. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so on day 11, before we turn the page to that, I love that we get to read Isaiah 43. 
And like that redeeming language of like, now this is what the Lord says, the one who created you, Jacob, the one who formed you, Israel, mm-hmm. do not fear for I have redeemed you. Yeah. I have called you by name. You are mine. And it goes on. I love Isaiah 43, but like, this is God. This is mm-hmm. the God of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz and Israel and us mm-hmm. who redeems us. Yeah. Bless in Luke 1. Where from Zechariah's prophecy, verse 68, Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because He has visited and provided redemption for His people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant, David. Mm-hmm. That's Jesus. Ah, it's so good, yeah. Susie! Yeah, it is so good. <laughs> so good. <laughs> yeah, and I'm glad you read those texts because, again, I think we don't always understand what that word redeemer means and redemption. And like, yeah. you know, it, it shows up in Exodus 6, 6, when he's like, I will redeem you with like an outstretched arm, right? It's one of the mm-hmm. promises that that God is making about what he will do for the Israelites and that he will purchase them out of slavery and that he will give them a land. And then, you know, again, Jewish tradition and just sort of academic scholarship would say that it's a Mount Sinai that God gives us like marriage covenant to his people, right? And so, again, like this is the beautiful imagery. Like if anything, that's what we get to see in the book of Ruth is like this picture of of God taking us when we were foreigners, when we were slaves, when we had no inheritance and purchasing us out of that. And just like, you know, Boaz exchanges his shoe and he has to spend some money and all those things, but he purchases us out of slavery and he brings us into his people and he calls us his own. And, and that kind of like what we get redeemed in. I think sometimes in the U S we can think of ourselves particularly as like free people because we're told that like you're free. You're it's a free, a free person. Yeah. Right. And then you make this like conscious decision, decide that you want God to like forgive you from your sins and love you. And that's true. But one of the main images in the Bible is like, actually, you're not free. You're enslaved to sin. Like mm-hmm. you're that's an right. enemy to God, right? Like the Moabites were enemies of Israel. It's like, you're an enemy. You are a slave. That's right. You have no rights. You have no inheritance in the people of God. But God in his kindness and his mercy and his faithful, loving kindness is chesed brings you in mm-hmm. And brings you into the people of God and then gives you a better inheritance and a better name. And I love that. I think, you know, we can say the word redeemer a lot and we can sing it in hymns and songs and and not really contemplate Mm -hmm. what it actually means. But like you have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, not gold and silver, not things that are perishable, but the imperishable blood of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you, Susie. Okay. So I know that we're at the end of our time, but I would love if we can with a little bit of remaining time to take a hard right turn. Get excited. Everybody put on your seatbelt. So we've just finished reading the book of Ruth, but that means that next Monday we're starting a new book of the Bible. We are, as a community, going to open the book of Leviticus. And Susie, I happen to know that you just you just threw your guys can't see Susie right now. Head thrown <laughs> back, eyes closed, both hands. My favorite book of the Bible. Heart. Okay. <gasps> so this is why I want to take a minute because I want you to be the hype person, the hype woman <laughs> for our community to hear from you. Like I want to feel the way you feel. I want our whole community to feel the way that you feel right now about the book of Leviticus. We're opening that book starting Monday. Talk to us about why you love it. Yeah, I just got to teach for nine hours in the book of Leviticus to a, uh, a young life group like last month. So yeah, I love Leviticus. It teaches us about the holiness of God. It helps us to understand the priesthood and the role of priests in ancient Israel. It helps us to really understand the tabernacle. And I would argue you need to understand those things to truly understand right. like how Jesus didn't abolish the law, but came to fulfill it. 
how he is the fulfillment of every item in the tabernacle. I mean, you can't understand the book of Hebrews without understanding Leviticus because you need to know the law codes. And good news, we are following our three weeks in Leviticus with the book of Hebrews. Very intentionally. Yes. (laughs) That is great. Hebrews is going to make way more sense now. (laughs) Right. Yes. We can't can't understand Hebrews without Leviticus. And so this is the order. Yes. Exactly. But yes. Also, I would encourage readers to look for, oh, you kind of have to chart it, but look for grace and mercy because it is actually Mm. all over the place in Leviticus. I love that. Also, the concept of sin. Yeah. Sin specific. Well, so there's holy and unholy, clean and unclean. What counts for that? What does it mean to be in the presence of a holy God? Both like mm-hmm. sin part, but also just our mortality. Like there's yeah. going to be some laws in there that get confusing around like childbirth and bodily emissions and skin diseases and a whole bunch of scholarship around that. Like, is it because in those ways we are less like his image because he doesn't give birth, have sex, you know, a handful mm-hmm. of things, right? Mm-hmm. So that's really beautiful. And yeah, his mercy. But then there's also certain sins that don't seem to get dealt with in the sacrificial system, which is a problem and is going to become a problem at the end of Second Kings and Second Chronicles, why they get cast out of the land because they're doing idolatry and they're doing sexual morality and there's murder and those things. Like aside from the day of Yom Kippur, which is general atonement, they're not like dealt with. And so it, like we need, we yeah. need forgiveness for those sins. And then, of course, Leviticus 23 is really fun. All the Jewish holidays, and they all are a map of redemptive time. Yeah. If you chart out all the holidays, they point to the first and second coming of Christ. And then Leviticus 25, which is the year of Jubilee, which is, like, beautiful. So it's wonderful. Anyways, I won't give it all away, but I love it. I feel like we needed some spoilers. I'm excited. (laughs) It's gonna y'all listening. We are gonna have. It's gonna be a sweet fall. It really is. Okay, Susie, I can't thank you enough. This was so fun Mm -hmm. to talk about the back half of the book of Naomi with you. (laughs) (laughs) Going rogue. Yes. Now I feel like I want to sometimes call it the book of Naomi. I probably can't do that, but still, I like that. Well, it's a good take. A hot take. And on Friday, so don't forget, at the end of the week, we're actually, if you're following along in the study book, we're going to read through the full book of Ruth again at the end of the study. And so I encourage you to do that, whether or not you have the cute little reader's edition that we sent you with the study books, and just keep an eye out for God's faithfulness and see what stands out to you on the second or third reading, and just see what the Lord teaches you um, as you go back through the book again. Mm -hmm. And yeah, join us next week. That's right. The book of Leviticus, we're doing it. We've been, She Reads Truth has been reading the Bible together for... 10 years. That's right. And this is the first time that we've read the book of Leviticus together as a community. That's right. So don't miss it. Our guests next week are Devaney and Wendell Cole, and we are so excited to open the book of Leviticus with the two of them. Susie, we are so thankful for this and for you. And I can't wait for our friends to get to hear this episode. And then, of course, to go into Leviticus with us next week. But until next week, what do we tell our friends? Keep opening your Bible.